You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Hey, Greg, I want to do a sci-fi action adventure movie about a legendary cyborg martial artist who runs with a group known as Hunter Warriors. They're like bounty hunters. Can we just uh, call them? Bounty hunters? No, they are hunter warriors. Hunter warriors. We have to say it every other scene. Okay. Dives in. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the show where we fix up and refurbish movies we found scraps of in the junkyard. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are talking about Alita, Battle Angel, directed by Robert Rodriguez. It was written by all the Terminator people. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. I've actually been waiting a long time to watch this one. Part good movie for us to do on the show, part excuse to watch Battle Angel. Yeah, I've uh, I mentioned to a few people who were doing this one, and most people who'd seen it were like, "Oh, yeah, that's a that's a fun one. That's a fun one." This one, like, this one really falls into that weird speed racer territory, where it's uh, an incredibly stylistic movie that makes a lot of really bold choices, and you can't help but kind of be sucked in by that. Mm-hmm. And judge, or judge those choices furiously. <laughs> yeah, I suppose if if it's really not your cup of tea, you're gonna really hate it. But uh, like it's it's got the same kind of visual spectacle. It's got the same really kind of like hyper reality because they're both based on anime properties. Um, and I, I'd say they're both very competently done. They're both quite enjoyable films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I quite. Not only did I say, would I say I liked the aesthetic of this movie, I didn't find it took me out of it the same way a lot of this like 50 50 CGI live action stuff that's been out lately. Like, compare, compare the visuals of this to like um, Ready Player One, which was like half live action, half very realistic looking humanoid animated puppets. Yeah, that's actually a fair comparison, having just recently watched Ready Player One. Um, it does not look as good as this movie. Yeah, I'd I'd watch Alita. The character in the movie looked better than you know um, what was his name Copernicus or whatever. Uh, Percival. <laughs> what was it? Was it? Copernicus <laughs> or Parsimal, <Sure>. sorry. <laughs> What was the now? I need to know what was the name of the main character from Parsival. Parsival, Par- Parsival right? Copernicus, whatever. <laughs> so close. <laughs> I kind of knew what I was saying. Um, yeah, I quite I this the, the the visuals of this really jived for me. I was I was into it and it was not jarring the way some of you know, yeah, like Ready Player One was. How'd you guys feel? <laughs> well, by contrast, Aaron came down about towards the end of the movie and took one look at Battle Angel's really wide anime eyes and said, Nope, that's not for me, and then went back upstairs. <laughs> Uh, to be fair, the first time we saw her, uh, both Anita and I like cringed visibly in the room while we were watching it, and we fell right into the Uncanny Valley in a way that we didn't with literally any other character in this movie. And there's 
a lot of other cyborgs in this movie, and some of them are very inhuman, and none of them none of them fell into the uncanny valley the way that Alita did. By the end of the movie, I was pretty used to it, but like that first <laughs> the first time you see her, it's like, ooh, that's a choice that they made. That's yeah. that's interesting because I I I really liked it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "What a great way to set apart a cyborg from a person." Because there's so many other movies like think like AI, where it's like, "Oh, it's a cyborg," or like Battle um, uh, Battlestar Galactica. These are cyborgs that just look like people, and because it, it's an actor playing it, and you have to have actors play things because we're all humans, right? Yeah. So no, this to me was fair. like a great way to just like set apart. This is a artificial person who you're gonna come to you know empathize and care about. But for all intents and purposes, this is a this is a artificial being. And then here's Christoph Waltz. Like, I feel like there's also maybe like say what you will about anime eyes, but anime eyes are meant to make a character look more soulful. I guess would be the best way to put it because they mm-hmm. have big eyes and and small features. It's neoteny, right? You're, you look at a baby and it's big eyes and you fall in love. And that's kind of the same with the anime aesthetic for female characters. Uh, and I feel like keeping that here is meant to make Alita look a little more childlike and look a little more innocent. And that can that that does play a little bit, especially because mm-hmm. she's supposed to come across as a surrogate daughter to uh, Dr. Ito, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, again, by the end of the movie... I was I wouldn't say that I was necessarily digging the look, but I had grown used to the look and it didn't bother me anymore. It was it was really just my first knee jerk reaction was like, okay, wow. I I think what's amusing to me about uh, the eyes is that like that decision alone must have cost a ton of money. Like <laughs> yeah. like she like it, if you hadn't done that and you just had the the actor doing the stand-in, you could have painted her cybernetic costume on her much the way they do with Spider-Man in the Spider-Man Marvel series, right? Mm-hmm. But because they wanted those eyes, they had to create a fully digital character. Um, so I, I wonder how much of the $170 million budget that ended up taking up. Yeah, That's, that's yeah. a fair I mean, criticism, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely an expensive fee. But it's also like it's crazy how much this comes up. Like I, I only around, got around to watching Captain Marvel recently, and I'm like, there's Sam Jackson walking around with digital Sam Jackson face on. <laughs> like it's essentially it would have been the same process essentially. Yeah. To just put the like yeah the well, mask on a, a person. Yeah, exactly. Like he's he's not a fully. They didn't like replace his uh, Sam Jackson completely. They're just painting a younger face on top of him, which is a lot easier to do than than animating everything from scratch. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I guess I don't know enough about animation to to speak authoritatively, but I I was I was under the impression it would be a fairly similar like the the amount, I guess yeah, the amount would make a difference. Anyway, is uh yeah, I just it's maybe it's just sold me more cuz I really thought there was a lot more human face and human body going on in there than uh perhaps there was. I mean, like typically when you when you create a fully like they are they like she was on set and she was performing and yeah. they had the camera on her face and all that kind of stuff but be, but you know they only they're only working with reference points and when it comes to when it comes to a face obviously you know we're really 
hypersensitive to like we you know to faces that we see them in everything we know what a proper face looks like so when it moves incorrectly um for example um the lips one of the toughest things to do is the lips it's the um the um the top uh the top part of the lip yeah. Um, you know, the, the most famous example of this is, um, the digital replacement of, um, uh, uh Superman's lip Superman's in Justice League, yeah. right? Like it just didn't work. It just, it looks so odd. Um, if you watch, there are, uh, there's some videos from the corridor crew where they go through, um, a lot of animation of faces and stuff like that and go through in detail, like why it's so difficult and, and where it can go, where it can go wrong. It's really interesting stuff. But yeah, like I think I think because if you're if you're filming Sam Jackson, then you're seeing exactly how his lip is moving, how his how his pores and all that kind of stuff are reacting to the movement and things. So it there's there's a there is a much clearer reference point rather than I think like creating a character and then having to having to do all that stuff more manually, I suppose. I mean, maybe I'm talking out of my ass. You might be right, Liam. Maybe maybe it's not that much different. But sure, I'm also. I, would, I guess I also realized I don't know what Rosa Salazar looks like. For all I know, she looks like you know Wanda Sykes or something, and doesn't have any <laughs> any bearing on. She looks what somewhat similar. Leader. Yeah, yeah. They they yeah. definitely went with kind of like a digital actor, and the character is not like a one to one version of the character from the anime or the manga. It's it's definitely a stylistic version of that character meant to also resemble the actress. Uh, but yeah, let's. Uh, um, this, of course, uh, movie does star uh, Rosa Salazar as Alita, uh, Christoph Waltz as Doctor Dyson Ido, uh, Jennifer Connelly as Chirin, uh, and yeah, another uh, fantastic cast as well. Um, I thought they uh, they all did perfectly serviceably. They were all great. I like Christoph Waltz in anything. Yeah, when we were doing the watch party, uh, Robin from Cinematological actually had commented that uh, Doctor Ido is kind of younger in the source material and Christoph Waltz is maybe too old to play him. And I countered with, yeah, but Christoph Waltz is so good. And Robin was like, no, absolutely. He is. He is fantastic. I'm not complaining about his performance, just that he's perhaps a little too old to play the character. (laughs) It was fun seeing him animated, like not, not computer animated, but just like a lively, happy character. That's true. Although his character kind of like waffles back and forth between being like hunter warrior and like, sort of dad figure and I don't know I found that like, that happened a lot with characters that they that there were different sides to them and then that they didn't uh they didn't connect a whole lot but I I, I suppose that that's probably best to be safe for our chat after the trailer yeah let's uh let's go to the trailer now you told me the story of the war when the ground shook and the sky burned of the ones that survived who awoke to a different world where the powerful prey on the weak. But that's not the way it has to be. When I found you, your very human brain was miraculously intact. It's the loneliest feeling not to know who you are. In time, you'll remember. Leader's new here. It's a harsh world down here. You gotta be willing to do what it takes. Alita, run!
of her kind. She contains technology that have been lost for 300 years. In the scrapyard of Iron City, Dr. Dyson Ito finds the body of an ancient cyborg woman, a discarded remnant of a 300-year-old war with Mars. Ito takes the body back to his shop, where he repairs the unit and names it after his lost daughter, Alita. Part speed racer, part blade runner, all battle warrior, Alita sets out to learn who she is and where she came from. Ito, of course, has all the answers, but doesn't tell her because... plot. Meanwhile, high above in the last floating city of Zalem, a mysterious overlord named Nova has the poor people of Iron City under his boot. Through a complicated scheme of hired guns, murder ball, and demonic possession, he seeks to destroy Alita, the last remaining challenge to his power. Will he catch her, or will it take three successive climactic scenes for him to fail? I have a question for you guys. In kind of fantasy worlds like this, um, do really weird uh, names for places and people take you out of the film sometimes? Uh, Not all the time. Um, I buy it in far future stuff. I buy it in fantasy stuff. Having a floating city named Zalem doesn't really pull me out of this. Yeah, it uh, it really depends on the on the the movie or the show. Some some shows do it really well. Some shows do it really or movies do it really poorly. Uh, Zalem I thought was fine. Um, most of these like names like Alita's a name, right? Mm-hmm. Vector's mm-hmm. a word. I because I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. My go to is always to take words that already exist and use them as names. Or like vector is a great example. Uh, or take a name and just like change one letter so that people don't. Because when you get and Rick and Morty does this very well, they'll just name their characters like Schlubity Schlurp. <laughs> they'll just give them deliberately quickly made up stupid names, which which most times when when people make up fantasy names, like non writers make them up, and even most good writers they they come out sounding like you know Schlingle Schlurps or whatever. Like <laughs> yeah. Like they can sound pretty goofy. I, I think it's. I think maybe sometimes for me, it's it's um, how many how many wild names there are and and the rapid succession with which I'm fed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that Battle Angel is necessarily super guilty of it, but I did find like some of the things coupled with like the repeated hunter warrior uh, thing, as as you pointed out in the intro, Liam. Um, it kind of it kind of started to feel guilt or um, goofy at a certain point, and took me out of it a little bit. There might also be a bit of a linguistic issue, though, too, right? Because the source material is Japanese, and there's like there are differences in the writing style uh, that don't necessarily translate one to one, and you see it a lot with like dubbed anime, for example where sometimes things come across a little weird because it, they're trying to make it as close to translation as possible. And that could be the case here too. Yeah. And I, I don't want yeah, to say necessarily that it's a linguistic thing, but it, it might be a linguistic thing because they are taking a, a foreign property and they're, and they're making it here in, well, here, quote unquote, in America. I think yeah. um, the best example I can think of this is John Carter because that, movie was based on a you know some source material that's that was very old and like at the dawn of you know science fiction really and like the 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 names are quite silly in it and it can be kind of difficult to sort of like let your uh uh let yourself sink into the film 
underrated movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the kind. Of, it's actually a kind of, the kind of movie I want to take on on the podcast at some point because it's it's pretty decent. Um, it probably only needs a tweak here or there. I would agree, but that is literally another episode. We should get back <laughs> on track. Um, yeah, overall, I kind of dug this movie, and it's like I said before it it gave me the same kind of vibe I got off of Speed Racer. I love cyberpunk as a genre, and I love a good cyberpunk yarn. And this was visually a smorgasbord for me. And it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like Ready Player One, where there was too much stuff that was too in focus so that you didn't know what was happening. Uh, in this movie, I thought it was very competently composed. Like the shots, yeah. the shots made sense. Nothing was too busy at any given time that I couldn't follow the action. Even, even in the murder ball scenes, which would have been arguably the thing that would have been the most overproduced. I think things were actually toned down enough great. that you could, ru- yeah. that you could focus on the action and not be lost in all the details, which again was one of our big complaints about ready player one. Yeah, this I would say this was a uh, visually consistent. Like you can you can take whatever opinion you want of of the aesthetic, but it was consistent and consumable. Like like um uh, you could compre- comprehensible uh, yeah. throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think uh, it was worlds ahead of uh, of Ready Player One, and and even what was the last movie we watched that was really busy? Uh, uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. Yeah. Um. I thought I really enjoyed the action, like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked really cool. Um, there were a lot of really cool um, martial arts moves, and um, and the uh, the cyborgs did a lot of really neat things. Um, uh, I I felt like occasionally uh, Alita looked a bit rubbery during the fight scenes, but that would be my only complaint about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself waffling back and forth about the aesthetic. At times, I felt like it would have benefited from more of a Blade Runner aesthetic, something a little bit grimier and uh, a little darker. Uh, but, you know, when when they get to the murder ball scenes and stuff like that, like the... I, you know, I start to like second guess that just because it's, you know, I don't know if a noir aesthetic really works for murder ball. Right. So I (laughs) I found myself kind of all over the, uh, all over the place with it. And I, I went back and checked to see, cause I haven't read the the manga, but I did take a look at a few of the pages just to see what kind of aesthetic it was laying down. And it, and it seemed to more or less line up with what uh, Robert Rodriguez was doing. Yeah, no, he he definitely tried to keep it very true to the source material in a way that I think is kind of respectable. Like, he still put his own stamp on it, which, I mean, a director is going to do when they're doing an adaptation. But he also he also took the time and the care to make it kind of line up with where it came from so that fans of the original wouldn't be immediately, like, off-put by it. And And that's not a bad way to do it. Yeah, I had zero familiarity with the source material, which is like, I don't remember the last time I watched a movie based on a comic or a video game or something that I wasn't at least passively familiar with. I had knew nothing about this. And it was great. Like, I, I never felt out of place or anything. And any of the weird things where I'm like, oh, 
specifically calling them hunter warriors or the sort of like ridiculous weapon that Christoph Waltz has. Like his his like bounty hunter costume does not match Christoph Waltz at all. And I just sort of found it endearing. I'm like, that's for fans. Someone out there is very excited to see a rocket hammer. I'm <laughs> I'm fine. Like yeah. I'm still enjoying this. I'm not lost or taken out of it in any actually, way. Actually that's a very good point is um this movie was super accessible, I feel, uh, to people who weren't necessarily fans of Battle Angel Alita, while still not necessarily holding anyone's hand. Like it didn't, it didn't go out of its way to uh, to dumb things down for people who've never seen Battle Angel Alita, but was still, uh, but was still very accessible. Like you could get, you could make your way into the world fairly quickly and understand what was going on and follow the plot. And that's like that's a that's a hard thread to uh, let me rephrase that. Uh, that is that is a hard thing to do sometimes, and we've seen a lot of movies stumble and fail uh, at that particular balancing act. And I think that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think where the the film has difficulty is how dense the plot gets Um, yes (laughs) it's kind of it's kind of got a good pace um through most of the first act and and um by the time we get to the third act things are happening very quickly and uh and And then happen i feel like yeah and i think i think in in some cases like a lot of a lot of characters don't get um uh, you know the uh the time and space that they need or deserve. Uh, yeah, the, the nurse lady. <laughs> the nurse oh, lady's yeah. whole job is to just nod, like shake her head. Oh no! I had to they, think they one, save one a point. Kid. I was like, "Do we ever hear her speak?" <laughs> and then I was like, "Oh yeah!" At the start, she said a couple lines. <laughs> uh, there's one character whose life we save just so that he can die five minutes later. It's very truncated toward the end, and it's because they're trying to cram so much movie into this movie. And uh, the movie, like we kind of joked about it in our in our description of the movie, where there's three successive climactic scenes, but that's that happens. <laughs> the end of yeah. the movie happens, and you're like, "Well, that was a satisfying ending," and then it goes on for another twelve minutes, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and everything after that suitable climax is very anticlimactic and should maybe not be there. <laughs> Yeah, right up until the very ending where I was like, oh, she's going to go now fight, you know, spoiler alert, she's going to go fight Ed Norton, and then she just sort of waves a sword at him and the movie ends. Yeah, no, it like literally, she she and Hugo are climbing up the uh, the pipe to Zalem, and it feels like they're building towards this final climactic showdown, and I, I looked at my watch at that moment and went, well, there's only seven minutes of movie left, how can that be? Yeah. And and that's because it's it's not... It's not the ending, and the ending was what actually happened five minutes earlier, and that's where the movie should have ended. So I guess yeah. to get into my cuts, I think everything after the fight with Vector should and Gruishka should be cut. Yeah, I would agree. I would. I I almost felt like the movie was over um, after uh, the uh, fight with um, Zapan, actually. Like uh, I don't yeah. know, like most most everything, like at that point, Vector's kind of he's he's kind of defeated at that point too, but then he kind of gets defeated again. I'm okay with the <laughs> shortly after. 
I'm okay with the showdown with Vector and Gruishka, partly because Gruishka's been more so than Zapan. Gruishka's been an ongoing threat throughout the entire movie, and he's been Nova's kind of champion on the ground. And Vector has been Nova's proxy as well. And having the showdown with them is the sequel bait. Like, that's that's yeah. you showdown with them. Vector's dying moments are spent being a vessel for Nova so that he can taunt Alita. And yeah. then that's the end of the movie. And yeah. it would have been very satisfying because the movies built up Vector and Gruishka as the two big bad guys up until that point. Mm-hmm. But then, again, the actual movie we get then goes on longer than that. And that's why the movie suddenly feels incomplete because by the time it actually ended... It, it felt like there was a chunk of movie missing instead of there was a <laughs> yeah. satisfying ending. And yeah. that's that was I, a very actually, weird thing. I got Nailed exhausted. I, I honestly, <laughs> like, by the time they were going back to the, the murder ball thing, I was just like, okay, I'm done with I, you now. <laughs> I had the good fortune to kind of watch this in two chunks. I, uh, I ended up going to bed right around murder ball time and then fired it up the next day at murder ball. So this... Maybe because I had a breather, it 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 worked a little better for me. Um, but I can see I can see what you're saying. I think it was yeah because I got a break right. Literally, like I paused it when they were lacing up her skates for Murder Ball. Yeah, Liam literally got exhausted watching this movie <laughs> and had to go to bed. <laughs> that had less to do with the movie. Actually, that was one of the first times I think I was falling asleep in a movie I was enjoying. I was just like honestly tired from the day and was like I'm gonna watch the rest of this tomorrow and like put it away and it was like you know when you know when you're like eating a pint of ice cream and you're like i shouldn't eat this whole pint of ice cream i should say and then you do and then it's very satisfying when you have it later it was like that kind of situation mm. yeah i will say like there's not there's not a lot in this movie that i don't want to keep at least from like a visual from a directorial from an actor point of view like most of the movie's quite good and despite the fact that alita herself put me in the uncanny valley right off the top my buy-in was complete by like a few scenes later and I was quite enjoying the ride and uh, quite enjoying what I was seeing. So not to say that I don't have a couple other suggestions for cuts, but yeah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have a, a ton of cuts. I think my cuts would be about the same as yours, Scott, for the most part. Um, I might cut even one more extra climax than you, I guess. But like, I, uh, uh, I think, I don't know. There needs to be something cut in Hugo's story, but like I'm not sure where or when that might be. I think, honestly, if you cut his death, it fixes his story in this movie. The reason why it didn't work for me was because they went to great trouble to save his life from Zapan, only mm-hmm. to then have him get murdered literally five minutes later in the movie. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. I don't know that it's literally five minutes later, but... Uh, to have him die minutes later in the movie, which was a really weird choice because we never got yeah. time. We never got time to see him like adjust to his new cyborg body or express yeah. that he felt like he had been betrayed and now he wasn't going to get up to, uh, to Zalem or to have any sort of uh, time to thank Alita for saving his life. It just went du- directly from we went to great trouble to save his life to and now he's dead. I don't know if you guys felt this, but I I kind of felt like his last chat with Vector before um, they become enemies, where he's still trying to convince him that he can send him up to to Zalem mm-hmm. if he does like the one last gig or whatever it was. Um, I don't know, like at that point, I was I was like, oh, Hugo still wants to go to Zalem. It, it for me, I don't know. Somehow, it had felt like he had kind of 
forgotten about that a little bit. And there was a strange duality to his character where I felt like there was two Hugos. There was the Hugo with Alita and the Hugo without. And they didn't feel like they really connected at all. You kind of mentioned earlier on that that was the case with a bunch of the characters. Like Dr. Doctor mm-hmm. Ito, the father figure, versus Dr. Ito, the hunter-killer, or whatever he is. Mm-hmm. Hunter warrior. Uh, sorry, the hunter warrior <laughs> uh, didn't feel like they connected very well, and yeah, now now that I kind of dwell on it, that's kind of fair. There's there's a duality to all of the characters, which I think is I think is deliberate, especially because Alita is both kind of like a childlike innocent and also a mm. specialized weapon of murder. Um, so I feel like there's an intentional duality to a lot of the characters, but you're right it didn't feel like we had time for those two parts of a lot of the characters to meet in the middle, which I think is kind of where their arcs should have been headed. Yeah. I guess part of the problem too, is that you've got, because you have Ido and Hugo and and both of their, they, they both have kind of like seedy secrets. Like they're, you know, they both have a darker underbelly, I guess. And, Mm -hmm. and you, and you have to see both of those play out. And I don't know, like, like, seeing Alita have to react to that happening twice. Uh, um, I don't know. I may think maybe that complicates things a little bit. Yeah. Plus everything going on with Jennifer Connelly's character. Like there's, there's a lot of, yeah. Like again, like they're like, she makes a pretty hard turn at the end, which is unearned. Yeah. Uh, Nita actually commented on that and uh, felt that she, she needed more time for her turn to feel, uh, to feel authentic, Burned. yeah, yeah. Does she? She's like, I'm a doctor and a mother, and I forgot that. Yeah, and yeah. then and then <laughs> like, also, and the then movie she's like dead. literally had to tell you her motivations right to your face. Yeah, right? and, and that's yeah. a good indicator that they didn't do a good job. And then she instantly dies. So, yep, yeah. Like Oopsie, I, did I, see, I, I forgot. I have empathy. Did, like, <laughs> did she? Okay, I I might have missed it, but like, did he put her in like a little Chesterfield? Just yeah, her he, eyes and her brain. He turned her into a brain in a jar. Uh, that is what he did. <laughs> Classic. I kind of like. I was. I, I. Something. I think something distracted me at that point, and I looked up, and there was just like there was just a, a drawer with eyes in it, and I was like, I was like, oh, is that is that Jennifer Connell? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Well, sounds like uh, maybe there was a little more to to fix on this uh, this old uh, dusty cyborg body than we thought. Let's uh, let's get out our tinkerers' tools and. Uh, see how we can modify this thing. This episode has been brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund for yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on five topics. Women, sexual orientation and gender identity in Edmonton, visible minority women, and senior women. Learn more at ecfoundation.org. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're discussing Alita Battle Angel. And based on uh, the conversation in the first half there, I think maybe we have more notes than we thought we were going to at the start of this podcast. 
Yeah, especially considering during our short break between part one and part two, we ended up continuing talking about the movie for a while for like an extra 10 minutes and probably burned through a bunch of content that should have been recorded. Oh, Never you turn know. your mics off, podcasting 101. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we uh, we started this off being like, yeah, this was nice. It moved along at a good clip and it was fun aesthetics and it looked great. Uh, and then the more we discussed it, we're like, actually, you know, some non-starter endings, some uh, some weird character motivations. So yeah, yeah, let's uh, I think, yeah, the endings are, are some of the big ones we're discussing. I say endings plural. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that breaks this movie for me and I, I really enjoyed this movie and I wanted to really like this movie by about. 10 minutes in I was I was completely on board but then I was pulled out at the end because it just wouldn't stop and it got to the point where it didn't give me a satisfying conclusion anymore because it was clearly just setting up a sequel and that's not good that's not good storytelling I want I want my movie to tell me a complete story from A to B not take me partway to C afterwards that's that makes the movie not feel complete. It makes the ending not feel satisfying. And especially in this case, it makes it feel like a very deliberate part one to what should be a larger series that might not happen because there's no guarantee that this is getting a sequel to this day, to the time of recording. We don't know if there's ever going to be a sequel to Alita Battle Angel. And that means that the movie will never have a complete story. And that is a huge, huge point against it. And... When you look at really successful series that tell really good stories, and uh, the first one that came to mind for me was Star Wars. The original Mm -hmm. Star Wars films, all three of them tell complete stories in chunks. And then when looked at as a whole, it tells a larger story. And that's what they needed to do here. They needed to focus up on a smaller story for part one, have a little sequel hook at the end to get us interested in a part two, and then tell a complete story in part two. But instead we're only getting a chunk of one story and that's a problem. That's not good. And the tragedy here is that there was a good stopping point for this movie. As we mentioned in part one, the confrontation with Zapan, as far as Greg was concerned and Vector, as far as I was concerned, were both good, satisfying ending points. And that's where the movie could have ended and it would have told a complete story and it would have been very satisfying, but it didn't You You screwed up movie. You didn't stick the landing. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least as I'm concerned, I just didn't need to see Nova. Like that's even even like I think you're both have valid points of it. It could have ended where you both said, but I'd even go in so far as to be like, I don't think we ever needed to see to see Nova. The fact that he just sort of showed up as like he'd take over people's, you know, you know, give them give them spice melange eyes and uh, uh, tell them what they you know communicate through puppets. Essentially, uh, I thought was a perfectly great villain. I don't think we needed to see Ed Norton standing up in the sky in little goggles. I kind of to agree. be uncredited, say nothing, and be like, oh, there's a movie that exists that's never going to get made where Ed Norton's the bad guy? That's a bummer. Well, here's but, the yeah. thing, too, is we actually get a little visual of Nova earlier in the movie when the battle angels are training and, and preparing to go and fight their true enemy. You get a little, you get a little image of him. And, oh, I mean, right. that's, in retrospect, that's an image of Edward Norton. And you could have still had that in there as a little tease and never have shown him again. And it would have been, it would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I have too much of a problem with um, seeing Edward Norton so much. It's just the, um, you know, for me, the the movie felt more or less over once 
um, Alita gives uh, Hugo her her heart to save him, right? And, and in some ways, that's kind of a completion of of um, of their relationship because earlier on in the movie, she she offers it to him for her for him to sell so that he can make it up to to Zalem, and uh, uh, he rejects that that notion and you know she she he she he tells her essentially not to trust everyone and she says i'm all in you mm-hmm. know it's all or nothing with me and then she she eventually proves to him that that's what she's that's as far as she's willing to she she's willing to go she'll literally give the person her heart if she has to kind of thing right so yeah. it felt like a good a good ending point for me, and I, I, I don't know that I necessarily needed to see the confrontation with the uh, with Vector after that. They could have been um, villains that remained. Uh, um, and and if if Jennifer Jennifer Connelly's part was a little bit more beefed up, it could have been a pretty uh, satisfying conclusion for her as well. Being the That's one to great... just kind of swoop in at the end and uh, and and uh, save. Uh, the two of them kind of thing or at least save or at least just or at least kind of provide that motherly moment for Alita when when initially she had rejected her as a surrogate daughter right yeah that's sort of making her a bit more of the villain gives her character more to do and perhaps bumps everything up into to yeah I, I, I like that quite a bit I have only two issues with that and they're they're pretty minor because I do think I think you've made a solid argument for that being the end point for the film. And then having the little denouement be just maybe Hugo waking up in a cyborg body and having a little moment between them and then maybe a little sequel bait. But uh, even so, if you want to have that be the final battle, you need to beef up Sapan's role. I think he needs to be more prevalent in the movie um, to make it a more satisfying conclusion. Uh, which means that you also have to diminish Gruishka's role in the movie because otherwise we've spent way too much time building him up as the end boss. And that those are my only two quibbles with your, with your version of the ending. Because again, I think you've made a pretty solid argument for it being a good thematic bookend to the film. Yeah, Yeah, it could be, it could be that Japan is the one that gets the upgrade and he's, he's the one that receives the help from Vector kind of thing in order to go after them. Yeah, I really thought uh, early on in the movie that Gerwishka was just like a first first level, you know, kind of like uh, uh, enemy that gets like dispatched early in the movie and then worked with... The fact that he keeps coming back and recurring, I feel like... I, I realize like they, they, they have different arcs, but Zapan and Gerwishka kind of like kind of redundant. Like one or the other, maybe? I'm okay with Gruishka still being there and being built up to be the next, like the the boss of the next movie. You start him off here. Yeah. Um, but but I think that in this case, if, if we want to focus on the conflict with Zapan, then we need to diminish Gruishka's role and we need to make Zapan much more prevalent in this film. And I'm down with that. Like I'm, I'm all on board making that change, but that's the change that needs to be made here if, if this is going to be our end point. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think he's a good like for one thing. I think he's a good character, mm-hmm. um, and I I and kind it, of like the I like the performance of the the actor as well. So I'm all for seeing uh, a little bit more of it. And he's more of a a gateway into 
the seedy underbelly of um, Iron City, um, which I wouldn't mind if that's the bulk of what the movie is, just to sort of simplify things a little bit. Which works um, actually, yeah. Maybe a light, like maybe a little less murder ball and more about the the hunter warriors, as it were, because like that's that in and of itself is a pretty interesting part of this world, and yeah. I and I feel like it it kind of it definitely lost its oomph when it turns into um, essentially a speed racer uh, kind of thing halfway through the movie. You that know, so that's in, actually in that astute. Sense, Sorry, that's actually an astute uh, comment. If, if we focused it in on the Hunter Warriors and then saved the bulk of the Murder Ball stuff, like introduce Murder Ball, but then save oh, that for, sure. for part two, like yeah. that, like that's a good evolution for for if you're planning to make a series, that's a good evolution for the series too. Part two becomes her transitioning from a Hunter Warrior into a Murder Ball champion. I like it. Yeah. And that'd be kind of fun from a sequel perspective because it would be quite it would be a quite different movie. You know, your first movie is kind of like this sort of this noir cyberpunk thriller, and then the the second movie is is kind of uh, this more sports based type thing. And I and I kind of like the idea that like the you know the, the ending of the movie has you know them wondering how they are going to to take on Nova and, and someone is basically like, well, if you win the champions league, you can, you, you get sent up to Zalem and that's your ending point where, you know, elite battle angel Alita is, is gearing up to, to, to get into murder ball. And that, that would work for me. The, yeah. the only you, downside you, with that you, is that you lose the sweet, uh, the sweet murder ball scene where she's at the tryouts. Yeah. But I mean, then you save that for part two and the movie's a little more streamlined. So we also mm-hmm. uh, we we also spent a good chunk of time criticizing the the makers of this movie for presuming they get a part two that they aren't guaranteed and and sort of telling an incomplete story. Um, perhaps we want to give ourselves the same uh, parameters because we're also talking like we get a second movie. So well, we're like save that for part two. Spend more time here. But that's, move that up to so. But if, this if, is to the point where I even it even makes me think. Do you think they had this conversation and were like, yes, this all makes sense, but we really want to get Murderball in movie one because there might not be a movie two. You can still get Murderball in there. She can still go to a Murderball match, and we can still have a scene that shows us like what a professional yep. Murderball match looks like. It's just that she never gets in the ring in this, in this version. But that is not necessarily a bad thing. We're saving material for a hypothetical part two, yes. But even if we don't get it, we've got a much more streamlined movie that is telling a complete story. And if nothing else, that makes for a satisfying movie. And yeah, yeah it's yeah, sad It's it t- sad it we takes... don't get some of the stuff, but at least what we got was good, right? Yeah, yeah it, it allows room for, uh, for to fix what's basically my biggest problem with the movie is that it's too dense. So you're yeah. you know, taking that one big chunk out is is uh, leaves a lot of room for more character development and i and i think the character of, of sheeran for example is like the you know that that's a really interesting character she's got a lot of interesting dynamics going on like she's she's the um she took the exact opposite tact to uh to ito after their daughter died uh you know she she clung to getting back to zalem Whereas he, you know, embraced his new life sort of on the was surface, resigned to his his fate, and and you know stayed in stayed in uh, Iron City, uh, and and you know she's, she her continued goal is to 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 keep 
you know to get back there whereas you know whereas his goal is to is to reclaim you know what he had with his daughter right so like you know there's there's a definite arc there for and i and i think there's an interesting dynamic to be had between those two characters that we didn't really get to see at all and that's kind of um you know you know it's a little bit uh disappointing i think yeah Yeah. that's fair and again, by streamlining the movie, by diminishing Gruishka and Vector's role in the first movie, uh, we can bump up Chirin's role in the first movie and and give her a much more satisfying arc. I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the second movie, she can she can die tragically, and and that provides lots of motivation, I suppose, for the for the characters who whoever they are that are left over. You yeah. save fridging. You save fridging her for the second movie, <laughs> and for that matter, yeah. you save killing off Hugo for the second movie too. For yeah. sure. Also, what a, what a sweet reveal! The brain in the jar uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the begin. That's the cold open of the second flick. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Eh? Well, because she's betrayed Vector by the end of this movie. So, uh, yeah, opening the next movie with oh, by the way, she dead. Like that's yeah. that's a bit of a shocker. Yeah, just in case you weren't able to get Jennifer Connelly back for a sequel, you got an easy out right there. Head in a jar right off the bat. I think, honestly, I think we've we've hit upon the big problem with this movie. It needed to be streamlined a little, and it needed to be focused on just telling one story. And if we do that, I think most of the problems in this movie evaporate, actually. Yeah, everything yeah, just think, has a little bit more room to breathe, and and it has would have no trouble filling in those spaces. Yeah, I think for 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 Sharon and and Hugo especially, they're gonna get, you get a lot more time with them, and and uh, yeah, uh, Hugo is it, like again for me it was kind of a big problem, just not you know his his life with Alita not connecting with his his seedy underbelly at all. Like usually you get like little hints, and uh, and Alita can get a, like a little suspicious of like there's something more going on with him kind of thing i think yeah. that would uh that would make it a little bit more interesting from hugo's perspective and he can get you know he can get a satisfying conclusion uh towards the end yeah. maybe you can also even get- give him give him a little bit of like a he's not he's not super he's not super sure about cyborg cyborgs at first maybe that would make his eventual turn into a cyborg at the end a little bit more ironic well, he's pretty buddy buddy with Doctor Ito, um, yeah, which was yeah, also I what I was going. Might be hard to do that, I suppose. Yeah, but I was going to say also with with by giving everyone a little bit more room, we also would get more um, Christoph Waltz in a Van Helsing costume and a giant rocket scythe. That's true. <laughs> so especially if, if we're focused up, would be especially if we're focused up on the Hunter Warrior stuff because you could yeah, exactly. you could have a more extended part where he takes her under his wing after he kind of accepts <clears throat> her in that role. Yeah. Um. Plus, I mean, if we diminish Vector and Gruishka in this movie, we get more Mahershala Ali and Jackie Earl Haley in the next movie, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Cool. Well, I think we, uh, I think we might have nailed it. I think let's, uh, let's <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with a cyborg analogy, and I couldn't. I got it, got it on the first one, couldn't do it on the second one. We tuned it up. We, uh, yeah, we tuned it up. There, there we go. go. Got under the hood. <laughs> air pressure um anyway uh, uh we also have some fantastic listener comments as always if you want to get in on the listener comments please follow us on facebook or twitter at, at i have some notes and uh comment when we ask you or when we don't we can't stop you uh just 
Find find old movies and share your thoughts on our next one. Uh, you can't. What are we gonna do about it? Um, <laughs> but if you if you comment on the ones for the next movie, we will read them on air, like I'm about to. Uh, Andrew Craig says, "What? I loved this movie. I suppose I do have one criticism. There was about three movies worth of plot in there, things that glossed over, etc. Totally felt like the studio had no confidence in it. I would love another one, though. I think, uh, yeah, that's that's basically that's basically yeah. What we, we we also felt is that the movie was a little bloated, and uh, they tried to fit all of the movie in there instead of telling a complete story." I was going to say, like, what movie studio looks at this and doesn't feel confident in it? Because, like, 99% of this movie kicks total ass. Like, but what was that one? It was called, like, City of a Thousand or, like, Planet of a Thousand Cities or something. That was a re- It was based on a French comic book and it flopped and it kind of came out around the same time. Oh. Vol- Valderin uh, or something. Oh, Val- uh, Valeria or something Valerian, like that? Valerian, yeah. Val- I can't remember what <laughs> Yeah, I-, I know the movie you're talking about. That's yeah. definitely yeah. fodder for this podcast, too. Uh, I, I think like it's just it's uh, it's a bit like um, creating you know a, a original IP when it's a, when it's it's a IP that most people aren't particularly familiar with. You never really know how the viewing public is going to react to it. Yeah. You know, well, and that's sometimes. what I was saying with this is like, I wonder, I wonder if how bad, so it's called Valerian and the city of a thousand planets. How badly that did, if it made them shaky on this one. There was also some, like, weird internet volleyball going on between this and Captain Marvel, which came out around the same time. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that also hurt the movie a little. And that's not, I want to be clear, I'm not coming down on one side or the other there. I'm not saying that Captain Marvel hurt Battle Angel Alita, or Alita Battle Angel, rather. Yeah, actually, um, there, we have a comment that sort of t- uh, that speaks to that slightly. Uh, so we can get to that a little in a little bit here. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, we'll move on to the next one. They're kind of wondering if, who would win in a fight, Captain Marvel or Alita Battle Angel. Um, oh, Brendan Captain Young Marvel, says, no question. She's got superpowers well beyond what, what Angel uh, Battle Angel Alita has. Fair. I guess that's that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, Brendan, uh, Brendan Young says, It's a very fun movie. Amazing visual effects and CGI. Really hope they find a motivation to make a sequel. It's good enough for the film... It's good enough a film for them to finish the story they want to tell. I, it looks like everyone had similar thoughts. Yeah, we're, we're, it definitely feels like half a movie. Yeah, I, I also hope they get a sequel because I would like to see more of this and I would like to see the story end. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll have to just cross our fingers and hope somebody bites on it, right? Yep. Lori is hey. coming at us with... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. If uh, if Edge of Tomorrow can somehow get a sequel, <laughs> green lit, then I think it's possible for uh, Olita to get one too. That's fair, actually. There's something <laughs> to be said about a movie kind of becoming a cult hit after the theatrical release. Yep. Yeah, those are always a, a rare gem. Um, Laurie says, it was fine, I guess. Serviceable in all almost every way with enough bumps and odd choices to average out to a healthy meh clearly wants a sequel but didn't go well enough to have anyone gamble on one yeah and that's uh, honestly it's on almost exactly how i felt about this movie (laughs) yeah there are definitely some choices in this movie (laughs) i love it i love i've said it before i probably say it again on this podcast i any movie that just makes a big wide choice already kind of gets a pass in my book because it's something I haven't seen before. 
Yeah, I don't swing always for the, take that over the safe choice. Yeah, swing for the fences sometimes. Don't be afraid to make a bold choice, and sometimes it works out. And I think a lot of the choices do work for this movie. But mm-hmm. as as his final point mentions, and as we brought up a couple times now with a few of the different commenters, yeah, we still need to hope that somebody lets them finish the story they started telling here, because they, the movie did not tell a complete story. Matt Bowes says, this movie was basically fine, and it didn't deserve to become a political football for the worst people on the internet. Boom. Nailed it. So, so I, I had actually asked uh, Matt Bowes, because I don't, I don't remember this being a political football, so I just, just sort of asked him what, what the deets on that was. And, and apparently what happened is that the Battle Angel Alita was released close to Captain Marvel. I don't remember which one came out i believe it was elita came out first and then uh uh captain marvel was coming out uh shortly thereafter and because allison brie had been on the red carpet touting her evil feminist agenda the alt-right got uh incensed and decided that they were going to try and motivate um people to go see um uh, Alita instead of a uh, Captain Marvel all in a bid just to you know do their alt-right thingy where they just hate feminism right yeah uh, and and that's basically the story in a in a nutshell yes okay that makes sense yeah and uh, so you, you, spoiler alert it did not go as they intended <laughs> not at all it did not have any any effect on either box office of Alita no. or Captain Marvel um, I, I'm either fact checking you or showing my absurd ignorance I don't know which but just in case I want to clarify you said Allison Brie did I say Allison Brie oh you meant Brie Larson Brie Larson <laughs> okay there you go I was like, what, what, what was Allison Brie in, in Captain Marvel or this movie? What? Like, I don't. Um, Captain okay, Marvel yeah, starring Allison Brie is a very different movie. I just want to go on record oh. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Allison Brie is almost the anagram for the Brie Larson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to see Brie Larson and Allison Brie in a movie together now. Just because of that. Sure. That's very funny. <laughs> Uh, and in a movie logical. where they make Brie. Oh, man. It's just writing itself. <laughs> Good Lord. Oh, what a day for a picnic. <laughs> it's, it's just like, it's just Chef with uh, with Alison Brie and Brie Larson, I guess. Yep. And they're just, they're just cheese makers. Love it. Greenlit. It's, it's Green Brie lit. and Brie making Brie. It's just called Brie 3. <laughs> the, this movie, like, Greenlit. Take a th- take a million dollars and make this movie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, Cinematological says, attention, and I have some notes. Alita Battle Angel is the most violent PG-13 movie I've ever seen. It is one of the best action movies in years. It is also 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag, <laughs> way overstuffed to a rush climax. Yep. Yeah, pretty much nails it there, too. Uh, and it is incredibly violent it's just that the violence is mostly against cyborgs like you see a ton of dismemberment in this movie (laughs) yeah uh but uh yeah because it's not against people with blood and viscera um except for chirin who literally ends up as a brain in the jar at the end of the movie uh you kind of get a pass on it 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess she does rip off a guy's arm and shove it into his own eye. You, A dude gets his face cut off at the end. Like, yeah. He's just like, <laughs> I forgot about that. He's like, my face, my face. And it's like half teeth are like flapping. Yeah. This movie's which, great. I which, by the way, I am totally down with Zapan not dying, even in our version of the movie, and it's still just ending with his face getting cut off because that is yeah. that is the end of his arc. And it's I wasn't a- I wasn't the only one who, when the first time we see Zapan at the beginning of the movie and he's walking through the streets with his cool sword, I was not the only one who was like, "Oh, Alita's going to have that sword by the end of the movie, right?" Oh, oh yeah. For sure, yeah. Okay. But it's also interesting because he's walking around with nothing but a face, and you're not like he's going to lose that face by the end of it. <laughs> Well, that concludes our conversation on Alita Battle Angel. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Really quick, I actually meant to say this at the top, but I did you guys hear about the, the local news story regarding this movie here in Edmonton? No. No. And the, the family that won a contest? This this was great. I meant to say this at the beginning because it was good, but we just got right into the weird aesthetic. Long story short, this family in Edmonton won a trip to Japan because Shaw was having a promotion where, like, if you buy a rent elite battle angel on on sean demand uh you went trip to japan uh and their kid uh accidentally ordered it on demand about four or five times over the course of a weekend mm-hmm. like oh. just hit buy now buy now buy like you know uh and they they fell ass back they were at first they're like oh these all these charges on our shaw bill oh wait we're going to japan um <laughs> The tragedy of that was, I think it was in, like, January, so oh. uh, they may very well have had their trip canceled. Or uh, hopefully at least postponed. Like, yes, that's, or postponed. That's yeah. unfortunate if it got canceled, but uh, that is actually a funny story. Oh, we accidentally yeah. spent too much on Battle Angel Alita, and now we get to go to Japan. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, I guess the guy was like, so we had to watch the movie. It was pretty good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, as consolation prizes go, there are worse movies to have accidentally rented a bunch yeah. of times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, which, which might include the next movie we're going to watch. <laughs> Segway. Uh Segway indeed. Uh, but first, I do need to remind our loyal listeners that they can, of course, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at I Have Some Notes. You can find our podcast feed at I Have Some Notes.com. If you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help us out. And of course, you can also find our episodes on the CKUA Radio app. You can download it from the Apple App Store. And remember to check out all of our sibling shows over at the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB at AlbertaPodcastNetwork.com. We post episodes every week, so tune in one week from now for 1997's Dante's Peak, starring Linda Hamilton and Pierce Brosnan. Things are going to get volcanic up in this podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. For murder balls. Floating cities? That's better. Hey, that one works. Taproot has launched a service to answer your questions about Edmonton's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and our experience of it. The idea is to help you understand this complex and quickly evolving topic with succinct, well-sourced answers to any questions you might have. Find the COVID-19 microsite at taprootedmonton.ca.